Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. is up everybody and how's it going i'm alex goldstick and you are listening to the spring forward podcast since our last episode the spring league has announced the first showcase of 2020 in a statement released regarding the showcase the spring league ceo brian woods writes quote the spring league will host a four-day showcase from july 14th to 17th in denver colorado our top priority during these unprecedented times is the well-being of our players coaches and staff while continuing to provide a platform for aspiring pro football talent. In order to safeguard the health of those attending the showcase in Denver, a safety protocol is being designed in consultation with Dr. Paul Auerbach of Stanford University. The Spring League will continue to monitor the current health crisis and will have a contingency plan in place in the event that conditions do not improve." End quote. For those prospective players listening to this episode, a link to apply to the showcase will be posted in the description to the pod. Coincidentally, today's episode features an interview with the aforementioned Dr. Auerbach. Over the past two years, Auerbach and a team of collaborators from Purdue University's Electrical and Computer Engineering Department have been studying brain trauma as it relates to football players. The team attended the Spring League Showcase 2018 in San Diego, and equipped 78 players with sensors that could measure acceleration and deceleration forces to the head. Last month, the research from that camp was released and confirmed many of Dr. Auerbach's suspicions, especially as it relates to the repeated blows to the head that linemen take on every play. His study has reinforced his theory that banning the three and four point stance on the line would significantly reduce long-term brain injuries to linemen on both sides of the ball. As I'm a podcaster and he's a scientist, it's probably best if Dr. Auerbach explains the rest of the study. Without further ado, let's get to the interview. Dr. Paul Auerbach is a Redlich Family Professor Emeritus in the Department of Emergency Medicine at the Stanford University School of Medicine. He's an adjunct professor of military and emergency medicine at the Uniformed Services University of the Health Sciences. His career has included time spent at Duke, Dartmouth, UCLA, Stanford, Temple, UCSF, and Vanderbilt. 
Most recently, he co-authored a study using spring league players on head trauma in football. Dr. Auerbach, welcome to Spring Forward. Good morning. So first and foremost, in these unprecedented times, how is someone like yourself spending their time during the pandemic? Are you home or involved in the pandemic efforts in some way? I'm either at home or I'm at work, like everybody else, uh, doing what I can to uh, maintain my um, sanity during the shelter uh, while fulfilling my obligations at work and otherwise with my family and friends. And, and so far you're healthy and, and things are okay? Yes. Thanks for asking. No, no personal issues with, uh, any COVID related illness. Well, that is obviously excellent. Um, in addition to everything we, we just mentioned, you have a BA in religion from Duke and went to med school there too. Um, you also hold a Master of Science in Management from the Stanford School of Business. You're a co-founder of the Wilderness Medical Society and have written books and articles on emergency medicine, marine animals, scuba diving, and even a book of underwater photography. So where does your interest in sports and sports medicine fit into all of these in- interests and expertises? <laughs> I was uh, a very average athlete in high school and college and uh, am both a participant in sports and a spectator of sports. Uh, I think that athletics are very important uh, for a variety of reasons, uh, the most important of which is exercise and staying in shape is uh, integral to physical and emotional well-being uh, in my family and safety and participation for youths all the way through the professional level. So that all migrates into uh, a regular interest in sports. And most recently in keeping them as safe as possible um, without changing their essential nature. That's the that's the balancing act. You can't take all the risk out of life and you can't take all the risks out of sports. Uh, so the focus is to try and identify what might be unnecessary risks, uh, things that could be changed to make uh, particular sports safer while not ruining them uh, for the people that want to participate and the people who uh, get pleasure out of watching them. Right. Now, this conversation, this interview will mainly revolve around the study you did uh, in football with the Spring League. Um, That study seemed to revolve around a rule change uh, eliminating down linemen that you had suggested in a 2016 article uh, in the Journal of the American Medical Association and then another opinion editorial that was published in the Wall Street Journal in 2018. Um, Was that rule change that was published in those two articles the driving force behind this study? Uh, The driving force behind the study was our uh, wish to attempt a rules change that would uh, make the sport safer based on what we knew about the activities involved in football and where the head injuries seemed to be coming from, which was uh, blows to the head. Um, This looked particularly at the linemen who had 
repeated brain injuries that were felt to be quote-unquote subconcussive. They didn't result in the short-term in symptoms of concussion that many people are familiar with, headache, blurred vision, uh, nausea, lack of um, the ability to maintain attention, concentration, unsteadiness, uh, and a general ill feeling. Um, They were felt to follow repetitive subconcussive injuries where in the immediate aftermath of the blow to the head, there might not be any symptoms, but over time, as these injuries occurred over and over again, there was accumulative damage uh, to the brain. uh, And that um, has been felt by some to be what causes uh, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, repetitive head injuries, uh, whether they're subconcussive or concussive. So watching football being played and seeing linemen uh, butt heads like rams on every play at the snap of the ball, we hypothesized that if we could eliminate that particular activity, we might decrease the number of head acceleration events um, that contribute uh, to eventually to CTE. Um, I was fortunate to find uh, kindred spirits uh, in Tom Talavage and Eric Nauman at Purdue, who are excellent engineers and have looked at this previously with sophisticated imaging techniques, including um, MRIs. And they were uh, and are very good with sensor technology and how to conduct a study like this. And so they saw what I had written, uh, contacted me uh, some time ago and said, it'd be great if we could work together someday. And then that opportunity presented itself when Brian Woods from the Spring League saw the Wall Street Journal editorial and also contacted me and said, I think you might be on to something. How can I help? And the way to help was to provide a group of players who would be willing to participate in a study to actually look at this. We had not had any success or I hadn't had any success trying to recruit um, high school football teams or college football teams or youth football teams to participate in this kind of study. We thought we would likely start at um, the less experienced level and work our way up uh, before this would be considered by professional teams. Uh, But Brian uh, came very early on with an offer uh, to assist at the professional level, because that's what the Spring League is. Yeah. Now, before we we get into the results and and how you actually pulled this off, you mentioned that um, this study was conducted in in collaboration with uh, with Purdue. Um, So just from a purely academic standpoint, how does a study work across multiple institutions, multiple people? I mean, they're obviously in Indiana, you're in California. How do you put that together? How do you get your institutions to work together to to pull off something like this? In this case, it wasn't that difficult. Um, For clinical trials that involve humans, uh, you have to go through uh, an institutional review board. So people look at your study design and what you intend to do, and they make sure that, in their opinion, it's safe 
it's likely to result in meaningful data and they approve it as it is or they make recommendations for how to modify it. In this case, because we were going to be collaborating between two institutions, we went to both of our institutional review boards um, to get each of their approval. And we didn't have to do that, uh, but we thought it was the best thing to do. Uh, There are a lot of multi-center trials that get approval from a single institutional review board, and then they are able to conduct the trial. In this case, um, we put together a trial, uh, how we would do it, what our budget would be, who would be responsible for what, and we got approval at both institutions to go forward with it. I will say a delightfully minimal amount of, of bureaucracy. Well, that's that's always a, a surprise and, and pleasant a pleasant one at that, I, I would assume. Yeah, um, yeah, no question about it. Stanford was very supportive. Purdue was very supportive. And that uh, made it much easier to get this get this going. The, the first time I saw, uh, you know, anything written about this by you was in 2016. Obviously, you wrote it again in The Wall Street Journal in 2018. I believe the first time I saw this was at the Spring League in, in 2018, the Spring League Showcase San Diego in the summer of 2018. So how long does a study of this magnitude take to conduct and then publish the results, which just came out last month? You have to go through the study design process, the study approval process, then you actually have to do the study, evaluate the data, Uh, draw whatever conclusions you're going to draw, then write it up, submit it for peer review publication, which is the the strongest validation uh, of uh, a study that's been performed. Um, And then once it's accepted um, uh, by a journal, uh, then they have to go through the scheduling and publication process, which can take a year or more after a study is peer reviewed, uh, approved, the journal decides that they want to publish it. Uh, a lot of times they're backed up with other studies or other articles that they're going to publish. So you have to get in the queue and wait your turn. How many spring leagues and spring league players did it take to, to conduct this? Well, we got this particular study, which was, I think it's fair to say it was really a pilot study. So this was a proof of concept. Um, We knew that if this was successful, that we would likely want to acquire more data, uh, more players, um, larger numbers um, to put emphasis on the validity of the study. And we did that study in... April of, of 2018, um, and uh, we're in the process now of doing the data analysis, then getting the paper written, and if it is worthy, if we feel it's worthy of publication, we'll submit it um, as a follow-on study to this first uh, study and hope that it's accepted and published, uh, and that will put greater emphasis on what we did with the pilot study. Um, the pilot study gave us great hope um, because of what the data showed. Um, so we went into the next study with a fair amount of optimism and a lot of enthusiasm. 
And I, I guess the, the ultimate question, what were the top line findings uh, of the study? Yeah, the top line is that we could successfully measure um, the head acceleration events using the method we chose using the uh, X patches um, and that we were able to identify the players um, who had the magnitude and number of head acceleration events they had by using this methodology and that by eliminating the down offensive line position, um, we could decrease uh, the number of head acceleration events um, to a significant degree um, such that that would be a reasonable safety rule uh, that could be deployed in football to try and protect um, players from having the number of head acceleration events that they currently have um, with the existing rules. Yeah. Now you just said offensive linemen only. Is it? Was it? Was it both sides? Well, of the we ball? we eliminated the position in offensive linemen, but we saw that the um, beneficial effect extended beyond the offensive linemen. Um, it extended to the defensive linemen because if they're not banging into the offensive linemen, they're going to benefit. We found benefit to other other positions as well. Some of them were not necessarily intuitive. And we also were able to identify some high-risk positions like tight ends, linebackers, etc. And subsequent studies by us or by others can look at rules modifications directed at those positions that might um, decrease the risk profile for head acceleration events for those players. I think the big plus to come out of this, um, in addition to identifying a particular rules change that could be beneficial, is that uh, this establishes a method of study such that we can move um, from sometimes emotionally charged discussions that are opinions about what will or won't work uh, into a research-based orientation towards football and other sports where attempts can be made um, to study particular elements of the competition and make recommendations and modifications to games, uh, equipment, rules, practices, etc., uh, such that we can go to an evidence-based position on some of these things. Uh, I just was contacted by um, youth football, thanking us for having published this study, saying that this was a rules change that they uh, were intuitively uh, about to implement. And now... Uh, and, and, for, and for which they were getting some pushback, and now they had data to support their position on it. You mentioned the X-patch. Can you get into some of the um, more technical details about how you pulled this off, you know, person to person with the players? You know, where was it installed? How was it installed? What what were you, you know, taping? Well, the players, were, the players who became research subjects, uh, were incredibly collaborative. Um, we explained to them early on, this was all voluntary on their part. Um, we explained to them early on that the point of this was to try and study 
aspects of the game that might make it safer for them. Uh, players are aware that there's a lot of discussion about CTE and head injuries, and uh, they were eager to be part of a study that might uh, cast some data analysis on what they were doing that might result in making the game safer for them. So it, it was a bit inconvenient for them because um, prior to the practices or gameplay, uh, they needed to take the time to enable placement of a sensor behind their ear, which they wore inside their helmets. Uh, they weren't particularly uncomfortable, but uh, I would say frequently uh, wearing it was of nuisance severity to the players, and they put up with that so that they could participate. And they were very good about um, stopping to get their sensors put on, having them be collected at the end of practice. Um, it kept them from getting on and off the field as fast as I think they would have liked to. So we're very grateful to each and every uh, player who participated and to all the coaches who uh, supported this because the lack of compliance with the right way to put these on and off, um, not running the plays on a strict schedule uh, could have ruined the study and none of that occurred. So we had great collaboration from everybody involved. And of course, Brian uh, was terrific to allow us to come there in the first place and suggest that we do the study with his league. You know, the XFL was very interested in what we were doing. They were there testing out some rules changes uh, for their, their league and so they saw what we were doing and we were able to explain it to them. They seemed to be quite interested in safety. Yeah, and you just mentioned the XFL. I believe you were at um, uh, our camp in Austin in 2019 that the XFL was also a part of. So was that um, in collaboration with them? Was that a ongoing part of this study or sort of phase two? Uh, no, um, that they were. it was coincidental that they were... Uh, in Austin. And, you know, we had a large presence there. They had a large presence. And so we had a lot of opportunities to interact and watch what they were doing. And they watched what we were doing. And, you know, we talked about the game in general. And I think everybody showed concern for the health and safety of the players. I'm hoping that over time, as I said, we've established a, a methodology where people won't be afraid to make recommendations for uh, changes to any aspect of the game that might make it safer, whether it's a, a head injury or any other kind of injury or the health of the players. Um, we've seen changes over time with how um, fluids and electrolytes are handled. Uh, unfortunately, because there have been episodes of severe heat illness that have caused um, great harm to certain players. And, you know, the whole issue of brain injury is enormous uh, in football and other sports as well. Uh, nobody wants to see anybody get hurt. And I think everybody's looking for reasonable solutions to solve uh, significant health issues uh, related to participants. Well, and, and due to the results of, of this study, which you say is just a pilot, the Spring League has already eliminated uh, a down lineman 
um, for the future. So, and you mentioned youth football, the XFL. Have you seen any meaningful steps towards exploring rule changes yet? Or is it still just so heavy with emotion and, and quote-unquote preserving um, the game? As I mentioned, I was contacted by, um, by Football USA, people that work with Football USA, to say we are likely implementing uh, the no... Uh, down lineman rules change for youths. Um, and I think they may go uh, larger than we did. They may not do it just for offensive linemen. They may, do it, they may not teach uh, kids to go down on offense or defense. So I, we're seeing that. Um, I think at the, it, it will take time for all this to filter into the game at different levels. I think the resistance is not uh, coaches or or owners or anyone else maintaining old rules uh, in spite of the fact that uh, injuries occur. I think it's the fear is that by changing the game, it may become less like the quote unquote football that they're used to watching. That could potentially be problematic in terms of win loss records and um, spectator enjoyment. So <clears throat> those all have to be factored in. One of the things we saw, uh, although we didn't measure it, it was subjective, was that the game didn't seem to be ruined in any way. It was in some ways even more fun to watch. It was faster. It didn't take away from gameplay. The offenses were still able to very successfully run running plays and pass plays. <clears throat> we didn't get complaints from the players or coaches that it was uh, ruining the game. And <clears throat> objections that I heard before the study when running this idea passed uh, some football coaches and passed some team physicians was that it might change the game and therefore it would be opposed. And we didn't, I've not gotten those comments since this study has been published. Uh, what I've personally heard from people I've shared it with have been expressions of gratitude for bringing objectivity to the discussion and uh, for making an attempt uh, to make the game safer. Our intent was never and likely won't be in the future to uh, get rid of football. Um, it's to save football. If there's going to be potentially less participation, uh, likely at the youth level and then up through high school, and that would clearly filter up to college and potentially to the feeder systems into the pros, uh, if people are going to stay away from the game because they're afraid it's unsafe, then by making the game safer, we might actually be saving the sport. Right. And, and as, as we mentioned, the, the Spring League has already implemented some changes based on your research. And, um, you know, we, we certainly hope that people can see the Spring League game as one that isn't ruined and, and one that is still helping accomplished players achieve their dreams of professional football. One, one last question, switching gears a bit, but obviously still staying in the medical field. 
Um, beyond this study, you've, you've become sort of the go-to medical source for, for Brian, our CEO, and, and the Spring League, and have been tabbed to consult with the league for the best possible way to go about holding the Denver Showcase uh, in July safely during the coronavirus pandemic. The Spring League already, you know, in normal times, is uniquely situated uh, to involve only a single venue, a single hotel for the players. What are some additional elements that, that you think you may advise the league on to successfully hold a camp six or seven weeks from now? I don't know the specifics yet. Uh, I'm going to look at the plan um, that they have, uh, look at current public health recommendations and the science around um, distancing, uh, around um, disinfection techniques, around all of the modalities that we're using now to try and keep people safe from spread of a virus, um, early diagnosis, if that's relevant, and try and apply that to whatever I offer as comments to uh, the Spring League. Um, we're, all, we're looking at <clears throat> reopening lots of, lots of life now, whether that be sports, music, gatherings of all sorts we're very concerned about what are being called super spreading events where uh, large collections of people in the same location if there's uh, virus floating around in that gathering uh, will have a higher likelihood of spreading to multiple people at the same time as opposed to one-on-one um, in our normal activities, uh, daily activities of living. So I think we have to look at all of it, use science, common sense, uh, and um, take into account what uh, a spring league is intended to accomplish and see if there are recommendations that might include modifications that would enhance the safety profile um, without subverting uh, the fundamental nature of what the Spring League is intended to accomplish. If, if, both, uh, if both goals can be met, that would be the ideal outcome. Uh, what we know about life is sometimes there are trade-offs that aren't perfect. It might be that uh, some safety recommendations would adversely impact the nature and spirit of the spring league. I don't know yet because I haven't looked at it in detail. Um, every sport is going to need to go through that at every level. So it's not just football and it's at, when I say every level, that's youth, uh, high school, college, post-collegiate, professional, recreational, Anytime we have uh, groups of people gathering, we're going to have to look at the numbers, what their contact profile is, um, how close they're going to be to each other, what the risks are associated with that, as best we know them. Because in coronavirus, as in concussion in sports, we frequently have a lot of opinions uh, being thrown around uh, and lack uh, some data to support some of those opinions where we have data that's the best situation <clears throat> i'll be talking to brian about whether we can gather data at the same time that 
he's opening up again because that's an opportunity to set a, an example or perhaps even a standard for other other groups that are looking to get guidance. Right. You know, we, we showed that we could reduce uh, head acceleration events in professional level athletes uh, in a in a certain football environment. Uh, it would be nice uh, to be able to extrapolate that to football at multiple levels and in multiple situations and provide guidance to people who are trying to make the game safer. Uh, same thing with COVID. We'll look at everything and it'll, I'll, I'm, I'm an N of one in science terms. So, you know, I'll have my opinions and I'll try and be as evidence-based as I can and be as commonsensical as I can so that I offer the best advice I can to someone who's asking me for my opinion. Uh, that's not different than what I do every day when I see patients and they come in with a with a situation and want my advice about what to do about it. Well, we, we certainly appreciate your medical expertise, what you're doing for the game um, in, in the long term and, and hopefully what you're doing for the Spring League in the short term uh, this summer. So thank you for joining us, explaining the study. And um, yeah, we, we wish you well uh, through this pandemic. Well, the same to you and to everybody else out there listening. Um, this is a, a time of high anxiety and complicated time medically, societally, economically, in all aspects. Um, and so everybody has to be patient with one another, be compassionate, try and help each other out. Uh, that's how we'll get through all this and resist the finger pointing and the lawsuits and all the adversarial activities that frequently dominate when there's difference of opinion or conflict and that holds true for concussion in sports head injuries and it holds true for covid so everybody's got to be willing to cut each other a little bit of slack be evidence-based uh, and keep trying to help each other out and we'll get through all this we'll get through We'll certainly get through football and hopefully we'll get through COVID as well using that approach. All right, that will do it for this episode of Spring Forward. Thank you to Dr. Auerbach for the in-depth interview on this study. And as someone who was on the field to see the team work and gather data firsthand, it's awesome to see the report be released. In addition to the Denver Showcase application, there will be a link to the report in the description of this podcast. You can follow The Spring League on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The Spring League. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Alex Goldstick. All music was provided to The Spring Forward podcast by Joshua Rosner. From The Spring Forward pod to you listening, we hope you are staying safe during these strange and scary times. We wish you nothing but safety and good health as we hope for a speedy end to the pandemic. Until next time, later.